I'm so glad you've made it to East City Wesleyan's podcast uh, page. Uh, my name's Brett Jones. I'm the lead pastor here at East City Wesleyan. Uh, if you would like to find out anything more about uh, who we are and uh, how we're trying to learn to grow closer to God and serve our community, uh, you'd be welcome to get in touch with us at the contact details on the page. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and, and see how we can serve you. One day, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the towels into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive for sin but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what, what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. And God bless the reading, the hearing, and the doing of his word. You've been waiting for a long time. Word has made it even to your town. He's coming. Coming to your town of just 1,500 people. Coming to Capernaum. You're not even sure what you think about what you've heard. You're not even sure whether it's real, whether he's for real. But nothing else has worked. So here goes nothing. Except the conference organisers have not thought about the disability access procedure. You can't see any way in. The conference centre is full. The usual crowd have claimed the best seats inside and right at the front. Close to the guru. Come on, up you get. Thank you. He's so popular, there's not even room to see in. It's impossible to see him, impossible to hear him, even if you could walk. You've waited so long and now you're wondering whether there's room for you. Let's pray. 
Father God, as we engage with this really uh, challenging part of the gospel, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Oh, Holy Spirit, you would speak deeply to our hearts. That we would be people who are abandoned to the love of others. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in this series, we are engaging with what it means to come home. And one element of understanding this uh, is, is to engage with these foundations of the, the shared home we call East City Wesleyan. And we find that in our values. And so this week we're asking at a foundational level what it might look like to be vision-driven. To be people who are deeply aligned with a God-given vision for this community of faith planted in this part uh, of East Auckland. And one of the most interesting scriptures uh, in this subject matter, uh, area of vision, is Proverbs 29.18. And it'll be familiar to you. It's best known uh, as some of these verses are by the way that it's uh, reflected in the King James Version, which says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish, which makes sense. Where there is no compelling picture of a preferred future, whether it's for families or, or communities or organizations or churches, the people do not flourish. They perish. The people as a whole, but also the individuals that are part of the visionless uh, community. There's a, there's a vision deficit is the picture that arrives, arises from these verses. The, the absence of a compelling picture of a preferred future that people are giving themselves to. Now, the NIV uh, translation of this verse adds a really interesting flavour to this. Here's what it says. Instead, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. So it's upping the game by saying it's not just any vision that will do. It's vision that comes from revelation of the Spirit of God that makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. And the truth is that there are many human organizations, uh, including churches, that are not vision-driven in this sense, in the sense of, of revelation. They're, they're driven by other forces. They might be uh, tradition-driven or, or program-driven or, or personality-driven or culture-driven. And the, the challenge with these sources of vision is not the same as, as vision deficit. This is vision drag. This is vision drag, where the vision itself drags a community and a people back, holds people away from grasping this compelling revelation that God has for us. And in, in situations of vision drag, vision becomes something we, we feel guilty about when we can't remember the vision statement. Anyone been there? Yeah. It's a slogan on the wall that we hope people remember. Sometimes it's something identified with a high personality leader, something that is more, more habit than conviction, more routine and rut than it is revelation. To be vision-driven as people and as a church is to be people 
captured by the sacred act of God who reveals his will and nature to us. Who reveals to us a vision of what the world might be like. Of what people called to be church are called to be in this time and this place. The NIV gives us another, another clue as well. And it's interesting how it defines this word perishing uh, as it's in the King James Version. It defines perishing as a, as a casting off of restraint, a kind of an anything goes uh, kind of chaos where everything is important, which means that nothing is truly important. Where, where personal sources of vision become, become the yardstick by which action is undertaken and measured. Organisational experts call this vision drift, where diversion and distraction rather than vision sets the agenda, where communities are, are defined more by, by distraction rather than traction, and whenever that happens, it generally leads to contraction. So vision deficit, where there is no vision. Vision drag, where you have the wrong vision. Vision drift, where there are competing visions. This kind of circumstance will lead any community, including churches, towards perishing rather than thriving. But there's good news. The answering call of Proverbs 29.18. Have you ever noticed how the Proverbs work this way? Yeah, this is what it's like if you do the wrong thing, and here's what it's like if you do the right thing. The answering call of Proverbs 29.18. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but, but, blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. See, vision-driven people and communities live in the direction of, of God's revelation to them, and they are fruitful as they align themselves with what God's revealing. It's a, it's a way of seeing, a way of, a way of noticing, an invitation to step into the world as it is and to partner with God that you might be a part of the vision that he has for the world, for the community, as he intends. And it's a place where there is room for all. A place where there's room for all. Like the friends of the paralysed man. Now it's traditional to, um, to view the, the, the paralysed man's friends as the, as the kind of people you want to be your friends. They seem like they're, they're good people, but on, on closer examination, uh, I'm not so sure. First, these guys have a real problem with being on time. They're late. And they've arrived so late that it's standing room only, which is a bit of a problem for the paralyzed man. I'm glad some of you, some of you picked that up. Uh, and then into this mass of humanity come the four friends. Actually, there were probably more than than four. Now, Mark's account in chapter two tells us some men came. And four of them were carrying their friend. And we have no real idea how they, how they came to the decision 
to take their friend uh, to see Jesus uh, that day. We just know that they did. Perhaps they'd heard about Jesus. Word was getting around. On, on this day in Capernaum, people had come from all over Galilee uh, to be a part of the occasion. So maybe they were part of, of that crowd. Uh, Perhaps they'd heard about Jesus or heard Jesus personally. Maybe they'd already decided to follow him. Maybe it was this his reputation that drew them. Whatever had happened, it had taken them some time to get the paralyzed man there and they were, they were late and the venue was already full. Which created a real challenge. Getting through the crowd was, was going to be tough uh, for them. But these guys had been overcoming barriers all day. How we get our friend to Jesus? We'll carry him. We're going to be late? Doesn't matter. How are we going to get through the crowd? We'll go in through the roof. I did did ask John Parr what he would have thought that instead of the wheelchair, uh, and his immediate answer was, well, let's get the high ab. Um, So I was was grateful. Next time I'll I'll go with that. It would be much better. And I appreciate it. Getting the thumbs down from, uh, from the back there uh, on that one. And it's not completely clear uh, how they came to this idea. All we're told, and Mark 2 gives us this, uh, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat uh, the man was lying on. Now this is where I question... Uh, this is my question, whether re- these are really the right type of friends uh, to have. Was it a discussion that they had under brainstorm rules? Really just giving truth to the lie that there is no such thing as a bad idea. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Because it's not straightforward. We'll go to the roof. Then what? We'll break through the roof. Then what? We'll lower him down. With what? We'll make it up as we go. Every barrier overcome. And the roof is not a typical, not a, a simple barrier to, to overcome. I don't know if you noticed the language. They didn't uh, break through the roof. They dug through the roof. So the, the roof was really typical of those in Capernaum at the time. See, Jewish houses had uh, flat roofs. And these roofs are used for many purposes, for storing things, extra, extra living space, spaces for quiet and uh, prayer. And for that reason, there was almost always an, out, an out, uh, outside staircase uh, up to the roof. And the, the roof itself, uh, the unhewn logs, I'm going to have a picture of that come up on the screen, uh, uh, were made, made the rafters. Uh, and then branches and, and saplings in there as cross support. And then the top was overlaid with this tightly packed clay. So the right word is dig. That is the right word. So there's a huge focus on display here. This is not just levering up a few tiles. We're talking about a major excavation through packed clay, even through a layer of saplings to, to expose the cross beams, and then lowering the man through the beams. When's the last time you broke something to get someone to Jesus? See, it's so easy for 
Christ followers to be the ones sitting indoors in the best seats, listening to the words of Jesus, maybe drawn by the buzz of Jesus, some of them, others just carefully weighing the words of Jesus. If we're not careful, we, we become lecture hearers rather than stretcher bearers. No place for, for paralysed friends. Becoming the establishment without even realising it. Losing that touch of the barbaric that led these four friends to smash a roof apart to help their friend reach Jesus. That's what it means to be vision driven. To truly see people. To see their deepest need. And to act in the direction of God's intent for the world. To make room. See, this church, this church was conceived with the idea that we would make room, that we would be a part of breaking down barriers that hold people away from Jesus. Cave in some roofs of our own. And East City Wesleyan was planted with the God-given vision that it would be a family where people grow into the likeness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. People growing. That people would reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Walls were broken down. Risks were taken. Things were left behind because it was a compelling moment of truth. It was a sacred moment of revelation from God. Where a shared experience of of vision deficit, of vision drag, vision drift was eclipsed by this crystal clear moment, this shared vision to grow increasingly towards Jesus and towards others. To make room for what God was doing. To make room for others. And the challenge for us in this next season will be to embrace the vision that lies at the heart of why this church even exists. And it will always be a challenge for any human organisation, let alone the church, to clarify and to reconnect with its vision. It's always the challenge that we face. Because you see, there were some different groups of people gathered around Jesus that day. Not just the friends who noticed and saw See, a group of Pharisees and scribes had travelled north from Jerusalem to see what was going on with Jesus to to assess this man who was making such an impact uh, in the northern region of Israel. So you can picture it, right? Dirt from the roof is showering down on these people who have gathered close to Jesus. And you can bet the majority 
that were seated in that place were those that had come specifically to catch Jesus out, the Pharisees and the scribes. Where's he gone? He's left. The established order. They've come to put Jesus uh, to the test. And if Jesus was feeling any pressure to put on a respectable display that day, the, the whole scene is just dissolved into chaos. See, it wasn't just a physical breaking through that was needed. These Pharisees and these scribes, the, the established order, if you like, have come to test Jesus. But as the scene played out, the reality shifted. The scene was turned upside down. Suddenly, it's the establishment that find themselves on trial. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? They didn't have to say anything. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And Jesus was about to challenge our worldview very directly to completely turn the tables on a right thinking. There were more barriers than the merely physical ones on display. The love of God as obedience to these hundreds of commandments that had been crafted by the rabbis and the Pharisees was about to be transformed into two simple commandments. Love God with everything you've got. And love your neighbour like it was you that you're loving. People growing in their love of God. People reaching others. People who are choosing love. People who are becoming love. You know, admirers of uh, John Wesley would often call him this a theologian of love. Love was central to Wesley's theological and ethical understanding of the world. He once stated this, religion is the love of God and our neighbour, that is, every man under heaven. Room for all. Room for all. And Wesley believed it is in consequence of our knowing that God loves us that we love him and our neighbour as ourselves. Room for love. In a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to reconnect to what it might mean to be people who are abandoned to the love of God. People who are abandoned to the love of neighbour. I'm going to invite you to come and grab one of these uh, highly expensive, thanks to the servant leaders for funding these highly expensive uh, magnifying glasses.
Uh, they're just glass beads, all right? It's okay. And the invitation is for you to, to take this and for this to be a focus for prayer this week. As you consider what it might mean for you to live as a, as a vision-driven person, a person captured by the vision that God has for his world, a vision of people growing, loving God, of people loving their neighbours, reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Because being vision-driven is saying yes to the revelation of God in our lives. As individuals, as a church family. Vision-driven is, is saying yes to seeing others. To really seeing others. To breaking down walls and roofs and whatever else we might need to. Being vision-driven is saying yes to becoming a person who is, who is growing in their love of God and growing in their likeness, in the likeness of Jesus. That together we might become people growing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that, that God was, would pour his Spirit into you and me. And then we might be people who are reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ, living out what we have already ourselves received. Because there's room. Room for you and me. And room for our neighbours. Room for them to come home as well. And so let's pray together, or let's stand together, and as we sing this next song, you're invited to come and to uh, align yourself uh, with what God is uh, calling this church to, to become people growing, people who see God, people who are reaching others, people who see their neighbour, uh, and to come and uh, consecrate your life to the work of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful for your love which is so wide and deep that there really are no barriers that need to stand in the way of it. Not the walls that we erect, roofs that need to be smashed, smashed in. And Jesus, we're so grateful for what, what you have already done for us. That you've done the hard yards that what makes a difference, what allows us to come home regardless of who we are and what we've done. Holy Spirit, your presence is so precious. The way in which you reveal God to us, the way in which you reveal the scriptures to us, the way in which you help us to see what we need to see. So we open our lives to you our hearts to you. That we might be people who are vision-driven, people who are who give ourselves with abandon to the revelation that you offer each one of us. We pray it in the name of Jesus.